why this would have been amazeballs to use in my conference app because welcome to the react native nerds podcast i'm spencer and i'm john join us as we dive into topics you need to know about to become a better developer hey nerds this is john speaking and welcome to episode number 23 hopefully we have no technical snafus this week (laughs) (laughs) um i am one of the hosts obviously jonathan i just said that and uh Joining me, as always, is Spencer Carley. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm so grateful you managed to salvage episode 22 with your editing skills and everything. So thank you for doing that. Oh, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't salvaged. I think we took an axe to the first, what, 13 or 14 minutes. Well, <laughs> your approach re- was it was like, you know, actually to, to, to edit it. I was just like, eh, screw it. Let's just not, not do it. So episode 22 is... The fact that it got out there is purely thanks to John, actually. I, I did actually sit there in Audacity trying all different effects. I samp- I tried to sample. It was this really weird popping and clicking with my mic. And I, yeah. I anytime I would speak, and I tried to sample that, and I tried noise reduction, and I tried all these things. And, uh, yeah, it just wasn't worth it. I didn't like listening to it. I can't imagine anybody <laughs> else would have. So, so uh, what's going on with your world? You know, I thought about this long and hard today. And the reality is like this week has just not been one of my weeks. Uh, It's just been like, (laughs) I haven't liked working. I just kind of like, it's one of those weeks where I just want to throw in the towel and become a woodworker. Uh, So I don't really have many updates (laughs) this week. I just kind of been like chugging along doing the bare minimum. And yeah. What about you? Woodworking is dangerous, man. Yeah, but it smells good. Okay. <laughs> Get a diffuser next to your laptop. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Um, I'm in Pennsylvania this week working. So, you know, living in an Airbnb, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, always read the fine print or at least the full description of what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> I thought I was going to have an apartment to myself and it's a shared, it's a room in a townhouse. So there's three other guests, I guess, in there and uh, shared kitchen, shared bathroom. It's really not that bad. I really haven't run into anybody. Um, but occasionally, if you have to go to the bathroom, you got to wait. Right. So, I mean, for me, I'm up and out before anybody else in the house is awake, you know, and I'm here at work. So it's it's not been too bad. But I think next time I come up next month, I'm going to get a place all to myself. Yeah. Yeah. When we lived out of Airbnbs for a few months, it was that was the top filter always entire place to yourself (laughs) i did it once and i was not a fan of sharing a room with some stranger or not a room but a a apartment with a stranger yeah yeah it's not bad but live and learn right exactly this coming from a guy who owns a bed and breakfast (laughs) everybody shares the house i mean they they all have their own individual bathrooms so okay there's that but yeah that's about all that's going on in my world lots of mobile news today um well that that we should cover and we did cover some a couple of these in the scrapped episode, <laughs> the scrapped portion. Uh, Microsoft is moving to React Native, which is pretty cool. So their whole suite of products will be rebuilt with React Native. And um, there's some really neat benefits to that, right? They're going to be able to interact with each other and probably be faster, I would hope. Hopefully. So, <laughs> yeah. So we can keep a lookout on that. Mm-hmm. React uh, 17.00 is released. Super exciting. 
no new features, <laughs> um, which just means that there's no new developer-facing features, and um, it's really been focused on making it easier to upgrade, which, I mean, a roundabout way is a huge developer feature, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. If it's easier to react than, or easier to react, if it's easier to upgrade. Um, absolutely. You know, take all the time you need, do as many releases as you want if it right. makes that easier. For sure. Uh, it looks like Node uh, 15 is released, and 14 is going to long-term support. So, uh, you know, you're probably going to want to upgrade to that. So a quick note on that one. It's an interesting thing I, I just found out with Node 15 release is that they never promote odd-numbered releases to long-term support. And I just thought is that, that like was the most bizarre thing. I don't, I don't know why it is, but it's always like Node... An odd numbered one seems to be like that's almost their test bed where feel free to upgrade it, but don't use it in production. Um, and then once they kind of like work out all the kinks, then they'll do an even numbered one, which they then put into long term support. And I don't know, I just I've never heard of a release process like that. So I thought it was it was very interesting to see that. Oh, wow. I guess that that skips you over 13, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> Lucky number seven and unlucky number 13, or <laughs> vice versa, depending on your thoughts on the whole thing. Yeah. And if you play craps or not. And 11, <laughs> if you play craps. <laughs> Sometimes that's bad, depending on where you put your money on the table. Um, and let's see, along the lines of upgrading, um, NPM 7 has been released. Mm -hmm. And you put this one in the show notes. So uh, do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so NPM V7, I think basically... You know, we all, we're familiar with Yarn, and NPM basically wants to take back what Yarn took over, and I think NPM v7 is going to be one of those things. So one thing, Turf war. Right? Definitely. One thing that I'm super excited about in this is that in NPM v7, peer dependencies are going to be installed by default. So I know in the past I've installed a package that had a peer dependency, and me not reading the fine print, I missed that I needed to add that peer dependency. So since those will just be added, as it makes sense, it's a dependency, just install it automatically. I'm excited for that one. It also has NPM workspaces, which, like Yarn workspaces, we've got a new package a package lock.json. It's also somehow supporting a yarn.lock in there to hmm. lockdown versions. I don't know how that's going to work. But, um, yeah, it just really seems like one where they're trying to take back a bit more of, a bit more from Yarn and... With Yarn 2, it makes sense. All the snafu that happened around that makes sense. And I I like tools that are just installed by default, one less thing for me to install. So I'm excited to try out NPM v7 at some point in the, the near future. Yeah, I wonder if you have a Yarn lock, if it will say, hey, we see this here. Do you want us to convert that over for you? Yeah, that's you know interesting. What I mean? Kind of like opening up Firefox and saying, do you want me to be your primary browser? Yeah. You know, in the browser wars. Do you want me to unlock or uh, uninstall Yarn for you? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just take over the project. Just nuke every Yarn.lock on your system. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then in really cool news, we're just going to brief, you know, briefly mention this and uh, go maybe a little more in depth and maybe have another guest on the episode. But DraftBit is getting ready to come out of beta. So they've um, been in beta for a while, and DraftBit is this really cool UI that you can use to build UIs. It's almost, 
it's almost like a mobile UI IDE, if you want to call it that, where you have all the different components and you can drag them over and drop them on your screen and you can build your UI. But what's kick-ass about this is you click and you can view the code and it shows you React Native code. So in the early days, you could do that and then copy and paste into your app. I know they're working on, um, they're working on a bunch of cool things that will be released. And one is an actual export, so you can build all this in their in their app and export it down. So then you end up with all that code local. There's also a hook into Expo, so you can literally run the app as you're building it in their IDE, which is really really cool. And uh, you know, it's really great for for us developers who want to try and design, and you know, aren't that great at it. So I would imagine I don't know if I know you can tweak colors and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if there's any kind of theming. I haven't really dove into this, um, but it looks really amazing. It's up at draftbit.com. You should really check it out. And um, apparently we got a hookup with, with the CEO of that company. So maybe Spencer's going to get him on here uh, when they go live. Yeah, it'd be cool to learn more about this, uh, learning like these no I don't want to say no code because you very much still have access to the underlying React Native code, but, you know, someone who writes code as a living, like, how could I work something like this into my development workflow, especially where it's like, you know, there's not a dedicated designer working on that team or someone as incapable as me is in charge of designing. Um, (laughs) It'd be cool to have, like, different tools in my tool set to reach for. So, yeah, hopefully we can learn more about that in the future. Yeah, and the, the one thing real quick I've seen, um, which is just amazing, is the code is beautiful. It's formatted correctly. You know, sometimes... Mm, it's not you know, Adobe it, Dreamweaver? It, I was just going to say in Dreamweaver, <laughs> yes. When you did the design view and drug stuff over and you looked at the code, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Or if you save as HTML from Microsoft, you know what I mean? Right. Your, uh, your 1K file... Um, grows to about 4.5 meg HTML file, and most of it is garbage CSS. Yeah, exactly. But no, this is, you, you look at the code, and it actually looks like someone has handwritten it. It's really nice. So Very cool. Yeah, keep on the lookout for that episode. That's going to be that's gonna be a fun one to do. But our main topic is GraphQL. So do you want to take a stab at this first? Yeah. So I'll, I'll fill in the blanks. All right. (laughs) So we'll just kind of do like a high level GraphQL discussion. It's a tool that I've always heard a lot of, even back, you know, before I was freelancing, that's when GraphQL kind of started being discussed. And I didn't really understand what it was or like why I would want to use it. So I just kind of want to give that, that high level overview of what it is, why you would use it and kind of diving into um, how you actually implement it. So first off, like what is GraphQL? When I first read about it, I thought it was a, a database language, kind of like you know, you're writing your MongoDB query or your uh, SQL queries, whatever that stuff is. I thought it was along those lines, how you access the data from your database. But uh, it's not that. It's actually a query langu- language for your API itself. So you grab data from your database, right? It grabs all that information back. And then GraphQL allows you to specify from that data that's pulled from the database what data do i actually want on my client or like in my mobile app and that's really cool because 
the way this works is you specify exactly the pieces of data that you want. And when doing that, because GraphQL is typed, which means you specify oh, the value name that I'm going to get back, that's of a type string, and I can guarantee it's a type of string. Basically, you've got that, that confidence that we don't, or we didn't used to have in JavaScript. So by typing it, we've just got that awareness. Um, another thing that's really, really cool from someone coming from like Meteor.js back when I did a lot of full stack stuff is with GraphQL, it's incremental in how you can adopt it. So basically, you can take GraphQL and put this really, really small layer on top of your existing API or your existing database and just kind of start playing with it. It's not a wholesale, oh, I want to use GraphQL, so I have to switch all my REST API endpoints over to GraphQL. Just do one, just do two, and you can incrementally do that. And basically, you could run both the REST API and the GraphQL API side by side, and that's just something that's really cool uh, for it from my perspective. And yeah, that's yeah, kind of just like a high level of what GraphQL is. Yeah, it's important to remember that this is a spec. It's a specification of a query language. This isn't an implementation. So this, there are different packages and different people who have developed packages for implementation, both client and server side. But GraphQL as a concept is a spec that basically tells you how to structure these queries yeah, so that that's just important, you know. So if you know you hear that Facebook conceived of GraphQL, you don't have to hate on it um, because you don't have to use their implementation of it. Yeah, definitely. And something to note when you want to get started, and we'll we'll touch on this later on how to actually use it. But if you go to I think it's like GraphQL.org, and you're reading it, and you're like, okay, I get this stuff, but how do I actually do it? Reading the GraphQL.org, that's just like the spec of how to transport data with GraphQL. And then there's actual packages like Apollo or Relay, which actually go into the implementations. But we'll touch on that um, in a little bit. So if we think about, we kind of know what GraphQL, GraphQL is and kind of its goal. How does it actually like work? How do you put that into your system? And most of this work is really going to be on the server side, kind of, because that's where you're, uh, defining where your data is going to be coming from. So looking at it on the server side, there's basically two things that you need to do. You need to define your data, and then you need to actually tell your server how to grab that data. So on one level, you've got your type definitions. If we think about like a, a Twitter, we're going to have a feed, we're going to have an array of posts within that feed. Then you could go ahead and define what is a post. Well, a post may have a created at date, it's going to have like an author ID, uh, it's going to have the content of it, those types of things. And then within your resolver, you see, okay, basically you're going to build alongside that type. You're going to have a resolver for your feed. And that feed is then going to go into your database or maybe hit another API to go ahead and grab that data. So essentially, there's a lot of work to do, but don't be scared. I mean, don't let this sound like it's impossible because it isn't. It's fairly straightforward once you see how to structure your data. There's, I mean, tons of examples. People have been using this in various projects all over the place. It doesn't matter what your language is, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So there are server implementations for, um, I'm just off the top of my head, I, 
obviously JavaScript, PHP, Go, Ruby, Groovy. Like there's just this huge list of implementations for your server. And just the beauty of this, sort of like Spencer said in the beginning, is typically with a REST API, um, you're like, okay, give me all the videos, blah. And it gives you everything about every video or give me all the videos that begin with A, okay? But typically those are two different API calls. And, you know, if you want, so we'll use that example with, with videos and pretend you're hitting YouTube, right? So you go and you grab all the IDs and then you got to make a second call to go grab a video based on that ID or go grab a video based on a title or something like that. And with GraphQL, you can say, hey, give me all the videos that begin with A. And that endpoint, that one single endpoint, will go perform that query for you and spit back just the data you need. Maybe you just want all the titles and the authors for all the videos that begin with A. So those three things you shoot into your query at that one single endpoint, and it comes back. In the past, that could potentially be three different endpoints or one, and it just like drops this blob of data at you. Mm-hmm. And then you need to parse it on your other end. So it's super lightweight with the data coming back, and it's only what you need. And all that is dependent on what Spencer just talked about and how you set up your data structures and your types and your resolvers. So all that's super important, really, really important. I guess you could you could build a, I don't know that you want to, a GraphQL that acts like a REST API endpoint where it just... I mean, maybe that's how you you baby step into this, right? You say, you know, just return everything. Yeah, um, potentially. But that, that seems kind of kludgy, and why would you go through the hassle? <laughs> just do the database call and return JSON like every other REST API. Yeah, and like what, what's a really strong benefit of only getting the data that you've um, requested and not having to get a bunch of data, then parse it on the, the client side and to display it how you want? Um, this mostly pertains to mobile because if our users are only using their or they're using our app on a mobile data plan, maybe they have a fixed amount of data that they can use per month, or even they've just got a slow, poor connection and sending a bunch of extra data or making a bunch of extra requests just slows everything down. So by using GraphQL and specifying, I want the feed and I want the ID, the title, and the description. I don't care about any of the other metadata. I don't care about any other nested information. By just specifying those few pieces of information, you've significantly reduced the amount of uh, data that's going over the net, the network, just improving the experience and using less of your user's data. And you don't have to parse a giant JSON object. You're, you're only getting back the pieces that, that, that you want. So I was looking, I, this was a thought experiment in my head about my conference app and why this would have been amazeballs to use in my <laughs> conference app because I, um, you know, I would hit the server and pull back these big objects. And it's basically everything about a conference session or everything about a specific vendor, um, that sort of stuff. And then I would only pull out parts of those. You know, I would pull back this big object, you know, which was silly, but just to find out the dates so I could throw a screen up in my app that shows the different dates. And then I would use those dates to set up tabs across the top. 
and you know it would it would just have been so much nicer yeah so it's, it's interesting like i i've found with graphql it's really valuable to like find a concrete example of where is this beneficial so like maybe for example in your conference app you've got a a list view of all the talks for that day right you're only interested in a minimal amount of data on that screen so just request title description or location something like that go into the detail screen and you can then grab all that same information you had and depending on how you have your client implementation maybe it caches all of that data so it's available instantly but then you could go ahead and make another request get the summary of the talk you could get uh, a map or all kinds of other information the presenters the room information yeah absolutely yeah so so the presenter thing that's really really interesting maybe you have presenters in a separate database table where separate from your talks and you just have an association between the talk and the presenter but on the talk screen you give information about not only the talk but the presenter so typically with a rest api maybe you would go ahead fetch the information for the talk and then you go and fetch the information for the the presenter presenters and basically you have to combine those two pieces of data or wait for those two pieces of data with graphql you could say okay i've got a talk it's got a title, it's got a speaker ID, and then you could also add to your type definitions in your resolver a speaker. But that speaker itself could actually go ahead and make a separate request in the resolver to your other database table to grab the speaker and associate that directly with the that individual talk. That way when you request that one talk, you could say, okay, I want the title of the talk, the summary, and I want the speaker.name and speaker.bio and speaker.avatar and you could have that all within that one request and again it goes to that point you're making less requests you're only getting the data that you actually need for that screen you're looking at and it's just it's it's really nice and it makes everything really clear where the data is coming from and how it's all associated to to each other yeah okay for forget about how cool this is and how much less data you're consuming with your app and all of that sort of stuff, doing what you just described means I don't have to write database joins. Exactly, yeah. And then expose that out one endpoint. You know, you just, you set it up, you set those relationships in your resolver, and boom, there's all your data. That, that's gorgeous. You know, it is. I mean, it's... forget about the, the client and the end user benefits and all that stuff. As a developer, sometimes joins suck, especially when you have like <laughs> three or four tables and... You know, you have to Google left, right, union, all this other garbage. So <laughs> right there is a the reason to switch over. Right. And the other side is like, you know, maybe you don't um, another. So I'm coming from a Mongo background where I primarily have only ever done NoSQL databases. And very common there is to denormalize data. And I mean, I guess this is kind of getting into some database -y stuff of the pros and cons of denormalizing data, or just basically duplicating data across different collections. Uh, with this, you kind of, I don't want to say you have to think about it less, but you can have those similar functionalities of having an author name on a talk without having to denormalize that data and also store that in the speaker's collection and the talk's collection. So it's it just makes things really convenient from consuming data, especially getting started, because you don't have to write these different joins or, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't come from much 
experience with back uh, databases. So I just like to get things done like fast and dirty. And I just want the data on the client and somebody else smarter than me can figure out how to handle the server later on and the database and everything I've screwed up there. Yeah, no, I mean, with, with GraphQL, you don't have to necessarily be a junior DBA. You don't need to go figure that crap out. Um, unfortunately, in my life, you know, I've worked with databases, Oracle, MySQL, MongoDB, CouchDB, you know, all these um, relational and NoSQL databases. And this just makes things so much easier. It just, it really does. And it, it's one of those things, um, I know like Redux was another tool like this for me. I didn't get it for a long time. And then it just kind of like, it clicked. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is really cool. I want to use this on everything. Um, so a couple other things that, and this kind of goes beyond just GraphQL, but um, the way that, I guess it doesn't go beyond GraphQL at all. It's, it's in the name. Uh, <laughs> one of the cool things that I love about GraphQL is a development tool called graphical and because the way things are typed and very clearly described uh, on a static level there's a development tool called graphical and i think every server implementation of graphql has this or you can very easily add it but basically it's a way to interact with your api and write all of your graphql queries in the browser so it's just like an underscore underscore graphical and it goes and hits your graphql api exposes all of your data it'll tell you uh, what's available, the types that are available, how to access it. It gives you a bunch of like warnings if you're making anything incorrect or accessing it wrong. So just this development tool alone is great because it replaces like the need of using something like Postman to interact with your GraphQL API. It just, it works in the browser. It's directly accessing your GraphQL API that you've already written. So it's just, as soon as you try GraphQL, try out Graphical. Um, and then another thing, and this this gets a little bit more, I don't want to say complex, but it's an interesting idea. But I know like as I've written REST APIs in the past, I've had to version things within that API, just as yes. data structures change or different properties change, whatever it may be. With GraphQL, it's less of a concern because the way you're exposing data, basically you can continue to have a given type and how it's returning data and you can just kind of change that implementation behind the scenes you don't have to worry that oh you know in the past i had a talk which had a speaker and how am i going to update this data structure while still providing backwards support because of the way that things are kind of separated within graphql and you can define that resolver or override a resolver you can basically continue to support a older API version, I put version in air quotes because with GraphQL you don't really need to version your API, but you can just make those changes behind the scenes and then everything continues to work as it was in your previous versions of your GraphQL API, and then you can just add new types on top of that to support the, the new features that you're going to have. Yeah, super cool. I can't tell you how many times I've had to version an API and then I screw myself up because I have one client on one and another client on a newer one and trying to track bugs down, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's pretty cool. Okay, so I guess we've kind of covered like what it is, why you should use it. How do you actually go about implementing this? And GraphQL has been very, very popular. Um, still not quite as popular as REST, but there are a lot of tools, a lot of companies out there 
to actually help you implement that GraphQL spec. Because if you try to implement that GraphQL spec yourself, it's, it's just going to be a ton of work. So as John said, like GraphQL came out of Facebook, just like React, React Native, but it lives independently of Facebook. Um, a tool that they've created to actually implement the GraphQL spec is called Relay. And this is what they use to drive Facebook. I imagine that's what they use to drive a lot of other things. But Relay is basically their implementation of the GraphQL spec so that you can provide data from your server using your types and your resolvers. And then from your client, you can go ahead and grab those. And basically that Relay, Relay is going to take GraphQL and maybe make like a, a superset on top of the GraphQL spec in its implementation details to actually make that available. Yeah, um, Relay is probably pretty hardened by now. There's, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't follow the releases, but I would imagine, you know, if Facebook is using it, um, it's probably pretty good. They yeah. might be listening to everything you're doing, but it's probably <laughs> right. pretty good. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, man, just bring up a whole bunch of conspiracy theories right there. <laughs> oh, dude, don't get me started. I'm so uh, loaded with conspiracy theories. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think with Relay, like you said, it's probably going to be really hardened. It's going to be really well tested. Um, but I found, and this this probably goes back a couple of years, Relay was harder to get started with compared to other ones. Um, it's very much built around Facebook's use case, which is always going to be unique to Facebook. Um, another tool that I'm very familiar with, I've written quite a few apps with it, and that's called Apollo. And Apollo actually comes out of the company that is Meteor.js, so I was familiar with it as it was being developed, but it's also one I've used a lot. And Apollo is a, it's an open source tool. They have an Apollo server and they have an Apollo client, so you can kind of cover that whole spectrum of the GraphQL uh, world. And what's cool with Apollo client is just like all the really, really cool stuff they've done on the client, where as you s grab data, it'll go ahead and cache that data, It'll preload data for you and then it'll like automatically, and it, it does all of this stuff automatically. And it's just been this like amazing, ever improving tool set for grabbing data from your server, putting it on your client. And then just like, it almost serves as a state management solution as well because you can store um, local data within Apollo and then you can grab it via the GraphQL API. So it just makes storing a bunch of data on your app itself really easy. And that's beneficial because building mobile apps, we want to be aware of potentially any offline uh, instances that a user is more likely to hit in a mobile environment versus a web environment. Where do you store your data when you're using Apollo Client in your app? Are you using a service for that or did you roll your own somewhere? So typically, basically I'll back Apollo Client. So everything within Apollo client is going to happen in memory. And then I'll try and take that data that's in memory. And basically I just try and store that in async storage. Um, and typically that works well. It works fine enough. There has been maybe one instance where I had to figure out how to like break up that data because basically I had so much data cached that I was running out of storage in async storage. Um, so it's an interesting thing. And basically the way all right, we're stretching now for my knowledge on Apollo, but basically they have like packages or um, like storage tools that you can plug into their API. So if, if you've done like express okay. work before where 
you can plug in uh, different middleware. That's the word. Apollo has a very similar concept of different middleware implementations that you can write or you can install from NPM uh, to do these different things like storing that data or persisting that data okay. in React Native or doing all kinds of other stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. And looking at this list, um, you know, if if you want big, big tech behind everything and you don't like <laughs> Facebook um, and you're more comfortable with Amazon, there is AWS Amplify and they mm -hmm. offer um, client and server opportunities for that. And so, you know, if you just want to, I mean, maybe you already have a web server up on AWS, you could just add this to your account and then, um, you know, build it that way as well. So there's, there are a lot of options. I think there's probably like 10 or 11, 12 in this list. Um, yeah. And that, so that's lots, just lots for JavaScript. From. Right. Oh, right. Right. Like every single platform you can imagine. I mean, so we're yeah. looking at a list on graphql.org. We'll have a link to it. But you're going to have clients for C Sharp, ClojureScript, uh, Elm, Flutter, Go, Java, JavaScript, Julia, which I've never even heard of, Kotlin, Swift, Python, R, it, and more that's not on this list. And likewise, mm -hmm. you're going to have the same stuff for the server. So like, there's a bunch of different implementations on how you can actually choose and implement this into your system. Yeah. Endless possibilities. There, well, not <laughs> endless. Too many there is, possibilities. There is a finite list, but yeah, too many possibilities. <laughs> That's right. Because, I mean, you can jump on what's popular. You can click and read about and see which one feels better. Or maybe there's little nuances that work better for you. Um, you know, it takes a little bit of research or, you know, if, if you use Apollo, then you can ask Spencer questions. Yeah. You know, and I have to so say, that's what I would do. <laughs> one of the reasons I love Apollo is like their documentation is amazing. And like they, they put a really, a lot of resources into great developer education. Like they've got a team of developer educators and technical writers and all kinds of stuff. So it's one of those perks where they're not a Facebook, but they also have some uh, funding to go ahead and support these different tools or there's different resources to learn Apollo and learn GraphQL. And then they've also got great products to help debugging and actually hosting and all that other stuff as well. So if you're looking for a suggestion, I would suggest Apollo just because of my familiarity with it and also their great resources. Yeah, when I was doing research, um, I found Graph CMS. And okay. um, it's kind of like a WordPress kind of um, SaaS sort of thing um, but it has a, a graphql api backend that and you know and you build it out and it's it's like headless it's like a headless mm. wordpress headless cms kind of thing and okay. um, it just made it it looked like it made it super easy to build your reducer reducers your transfer what are they called <laughs> so you've got uh your type defs and then your resolvers your resolvers that's it yeah i, I was jumping into uh redux <laughs> um, with your resolvers and all that sort of stuff. So there's, there's with a lot of these, there's probably ways to import your data and then um, munge it all up. So it'll be GraphQL, a bull. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, depending it's... on how much you want to learn and how much you want to do yourself and, you know, how much money you have, um, really, if, if you're, you're buying a service. There's probably some free services out there, but you know, if, if you want something super reliable, you're probably going to end up paying, you know, for something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's a fun tool to use. I've really enjoyed using GraphQL, especially from a mobile development perspective. And like I said earlier, like it it's nice because buy-in is really easy. Your GraphQL resolvers could literally just be hitting your existing REST API endpoints, and then you're just using GraphQL to grab data from the the client itself. So it, it's a quick and easy buy-in process, and you can just kind of start to see those those benefits of it. Give it a shot. It's it's fun to use. It's just kind of like it, it changes the game. It's like REST. Um, what I can't remember now. What was like before REST for getting data off of a server? If you even had Soap. an API, SOAP. That's it. It's kind of oh. like REST. REST oh gosh, or GraphQL is to REST as REST is to SOAP. So I don't know. SOAP sucked pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like XML is like from Satan. Yeah, that's it is true. It's just the worst, the worst. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that, that that's that's a pretty good progression if you put it there. You know, SOAP, REST, and GraphQL. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So give it a shot. Uh, that's all I've got on just kind of like a high level intro to what is GraphQL and kind of like what are the benefits of it from a mobile development perspective. Yeah, yeah. That's all I got. Um, so what y'all missed last time because I had to ax it was that I actually had some time and I was going to put in an amazing like hallelujah chorus that I had time to actually work on React Native stuff. <laughs> and that's the first time in a while that I've had, I was able to do that. So I was playing around with stuff. I played around with the obfuscation stuff we talked about last week and the SSL pinning. And um, so now I got to play around with uh, GraphQL. I mean, I didn't have time, you know, for this episode because we had to piece together last episode <laughs> at the last minute. So, um, you know, it's all good, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm paving a road to hell right now because I'd like to try this out. So we'll see yeah. how it goes. But yeah, um, if you guys are using GraphQL or you have a question about it that we didn't touch on, uh, tweet us at rnnerds, shoot us an email, the nerds at reactnativenerds.com or Hit up the website, reactnativenerds.com, find an episode, and leave a comment. Yeah, please do. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, we'll be sure to mention you on the show. So until next week, man, take it easy. You too. I'll talk to you later. All right, see you guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you for listening. You can get show notes and leave comments at reactnativenerds.com.